This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of TFCC injury from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Triangular fibrocartilage complex, or TFCC, injuries are a common cause of ulnar-sided wrist pain, which may result from trauma or due to degenerative changes. Diagnosis is made clinically with ulnar-sided wrist pain that is worse with ulnar deviation and a positive fovea sign. An MRI can help confirm diagnosis. Treatment is generally conservative with NSAIDs and immobilization. Surgical debridement, TFCC repair, or ulnar shortening procedures may be indicated depending on the severity of symptoms and the underlying cause. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to etiology, as far as the mechanism for a type 1 traumatic injury, the most common is a fall on an extended wrist with the forearm pronated. Another potential mechanism for a type 1 traumatic injury is a traction injury to the ulnar side of the wrist. Moving on to a type 2 degenerative injury, this is associated with positive ulnar variants and is associated with ulnocarpal impaction. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. The TFCC is made up of dorsal and volar radial ulnar ligaments. The deep ligament, known as the ligamentum subcruentum, attaches to the ulnar fovea, with superficial fibers that attach to the ulnar styloid. The TFCC is also made up of a central articular disc, a meniscus homologue, an ulnar collateral ligament, the ECU subsheath, and remember that the TFCC is the origin of the ulnolunate and ulnotriquetral ligaments. As far as blood supply, the periphery is well vascularized, specifically 10-40% to 40% of the periphery. The central portion is avascular. As far as the origin, note that the dorsal and volar radial ulnar ligaments originate at the sigmoid notch of the radius. In terms of insertion, the dorsal and volar radial ulnar ligaments converge at the base of the ulnar styloid. The deep fibers insert on the ulnar fovea, and the superficial fibers insert on the ulnar styloid. Moving on to the classification of TFCC injuries, class 1 corresponds to traumatic TFCC injuries, and class 2 corresponds to degenerative TFCC injuries. Class 1, or traumatic TFCC injuries, is divided into four types, 1A, 1B, 1C, and 1D. 1A corresponds to a central perforation or tear, 1B corresponds to ulnar avulsion without ulnar styloid fracture, 1C corresponds to distal avulsion, that is the origin of the ulnolunate and ulnotriquetral ligaments, and 1D corresponds to radial avulsion. Class 2, or degenerative TFCC injuries, is divided into five types, 2A, 2B, 2C, 2D, and 2E. 2A corresponds to TFCC wear and thinning, 2B is a 2A plus lunate and or ulnar chondromalacia, 2C corresponds to 2B plus TFCC perforation, 2D corresponds to 2C plus ligament disruption, and 2E corresponds to 2D plus ulnocarpal and DRUJ arthritis. Moving on to the presentation of TFCC injury, symptoms include wrist pain as well as pain while turning a door key. Physical exam includes a positive fovea sign that is tenderness in the soft spot between the ulnar styloid and the flexor carpi ulnaris tendon between the volar surface of the ulnar head and the pisiform. This has 95% sensitivity and 87% specificity for foveal disruptions of the TFCC or ulnotriquetral ligament injuries. Pain is elicited with ulnar deviation, that is TFCC compression, or radial deviation, that is TFCC tension. Moving on to imaging, radiographs are usually negative. However, a zero-rotation PA view evaluates ulnar variants. Know that a dynamic pronated PA grip view may show pathology. Arthrography involves a joint injection that shows extravasation. 
MRI has largely replaced arthrography and may show a tear at the ulnar part of the lunate, which indicates ulnocarpal impaction. This has a sensitivity of 74 to 100%. Arthroscopy is the most accurate method of diagnosis. This is indicated in symptomatic patients after failing several months of splinting and activity modification. The differential diagnosis for TFCC injury includes ulnocarpal abutment syndrome, ulnar styloid impaction syndrome, ECU tendonitis, hook of hamate fracture, ulnar tunnel syndrome, and piezotriquetral arthritis. Moving on to the treatment of TFCC injury, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes immobilization, NSAIDs, and steroid injections. This is indicated for all acute type 1 injuries and is the first line of treatment for type 2 injuries. Operative options include arthroscopic debridement, arthroscopic repair, ulnar diaphyseal shortening, a wafer procedure, limited ulnar head resection, and a Darroch procedure. Arthroscopic debridement is indicated for type 1A TFCC injuries and is the diagnostic gold standard. Arthroscopic repair is indicated for type 1B, 1C, and 1D TFCC injuries and is the best for ulnar as well as dorsal slash ulnar tears. Remember that generally acute athletic injuries are more amenable to repair than chronic injuries. As far as outcomes, patients should expect to regain 80% of motion and grip strength when injuries are classified as acute, which is defined as less than 3 months. Moving on to ulnar diaphyseal shortening, this is indicated for type 2 TFCC injuries with ulnar positive variance that is greater than 2 millimeters. This procedure has the advantage of effectively tightening the ulnocarpal ligaments and is favored when lunar triquetral instability is present. The wafer procedure is indicated for type 2 TFCC injuries with ulnar positive variance of less than 2 millimeters. It's also indicated for type 2A through 2C TFCC injury. Limited ulnar head resection is indicated for type 2D TFCC injury. And finally, a Darroch procedure is contraindicated due to problems with ulnar stump instability. Now let's go over some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with arthroscopic debridement, as far as the approach, this will be the arthroscopic approach to the wrist, and this is performed through a combination of the 3-4 and 6-R portal. The technique involves maintaining a 2mm rim peripherally, otherwise the joint can become unstable. As far as pros and cons of arthroscopic debridement, this is not effective if the patient has ulnar positive variants. However, 80% of patients obtain good relief of pain. Moving on to arthroscopic repair, the approach involves the arthroscopic approach to the wrist. As far as the technique, many techniques exist such as an outside-in and inside-out technique, and generally this is a suture-based repair. As far as pros and cons, this only works for peripheral tears where the blood supply is present, and the patient is immobilized for 6 weeks. Complications include ECU tendonitis from a suture knot and dorsal sensory nerve injury. Moving on to ulnar diaphyseal shortening, the approach is the dorsal approach to the forearm. The technique involves osteotomy of the diaphysis or metaphysis, followed by plate fixation. As far as pros and cons, ulnar diaphyseal shortening can address greater than 2 millimeters of ulnar variance and requires immobilization and time for fracture healing. It can also help tension the ulnocarpal ligaments. Complications of ulnar diaphyseal shortening include non-union as well as hardware irritation necessitating removal. Moving on to the wafer procedure, the approach will be a dorsal approach to the forearm. As far as the technique, remember that the ulnar cortex is not disrupted in the wafer procedure, and be sure that you do not extend the bone removal into the DRUJ. As far as pros and cons of the wafer procedure, intrinsic stability of the ECU, TFCC, and ulnar periosteum obviate the need for plate fixation. Moving on to a limited ulnar head resection, the approach is the arthroscopic approach to the wrist. 
The technique involves removal of approximately 2 to 4 millimeters of bone under the TFCC, and the distal ulna will be burred through the central TFCC defect. As far as pros and cons, it can be technically difficult to obtain level shortening through the TFCC window. Remember that a limited ulnar head resection is only applicable when the patient has less than 2 millimeters of ulnar variance. Finally, moving on to a DARIC procedure, the approach is a dorsal approach to the forearm. The technique will involve resection of the distal 1 to 2 centimeters of the distal ulna. The TFCC should be approximated to the wrist capsule. As far as pros and cons, the DARIC procedure is a salvage procedure for pain relief only, as the distal joint will be unstable after this procedure. As far as complications of the DARIC procedure, the ECU tendon can subluxate over the remaining ulna, causing pain. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 34-year-old right-hand dominant squash player falls onto an outstretched hand during a qualifying match. Since this fateful match, he has had ulnar-sided wrist pain, decreased range of motion, and periodic clicking in his wrist. Physical exam shows a positive piano key test in which you are able to manipulate and easily translate the ulna against the radius. This finding is not present on his contralateral wrist. The deep portion of the injured ligamentous structure inserts on what anatomical landmark? And the choices are 1. Ulnar styloid, 2. Ulnar fovea, 3. Dorsal radial ulnar capsule, 4. Dorsal oblique band of the interosseous membrane, and 5. Radial styloid. The correct answer to this question is 2. Ulnar fovea. So the patient has a distal radial ulnar joint or DRUJ injury with concordant pain, instability, loss of motion, and a positive piano key sign. The deep portion of the radial ulnar ligament attaches to the ulnar fovea. To quickly review, the triangular fibrocartilage complex or TFCC is a key stabilizer of the DRUJ. This complex is comprised primarily of an articular fibrocartilaginous disc as well as dorsal and vulnar radial ulnar ligaments which are each composed of superficial and deep fibers. In addition, the extensor carpi ulnaris or ECU subsheath contributes fibers and the volar portion of the radial ulnar ligament gives rise to the ulnotriquetral and ulnolunate ligaments. In the setting of DRUJ injury, radiographs are most often unremarkable but may demonstrate a widened DRUJ or dorsal displacement of the ulna relative to the radius on a true lateral view. An MRI is recommended to better delineate the extent of soft tissue injury. So long as the DRUJ is reducible and stable, immobilization is usually sufficient. However, in the setting of acute TFCC injury with dorsal or dorsal ulnar tears and DRUJ instability, repair of the deep portion of the RU ligaments as opposed to the superficial RU ligaments is advocated as these are critical to stabilizing the DRUJ. Stewart et al. performed a biomechanical analysis on cadaveric DRUJs. The authors found the primary check against volar subluxation was the dorsal RU ligaments and the primary restraint against dorsal subluxation was the volar RU ligaments. The ulnocarpal ligaments and the ECU subsheath did not contribute to DRUJ stability. They additionally found that 20% of the DRUJ constraint was provided by the articular contact of the radius and ulna within the sigmoid notch. Morimoto described the distal interosseous membrane anatomy and biomechanics. The distal interosseous membrane contains a distal oblique band which originates at the distal one-sixth of the ulna and inserts on the inferior rim of the sigmoid notch of the radius. They discussed that the distal oblique band contributes to DRUJ stability and was an isometric stabilizer of the forearm during pronosupination. 
As a result, the authors noted that ulnar shortening with the osteotomy performed proximal to the attachment of the distal interosseous membrane better preserved stability of the DRUJ. Mulford and Axelrod comprehensively reviewed traumatic injuries of the DRUJ and described a stepwise approach to treatment. For acute injuries with mild instabilities, the authors recommend immobilization in the position of stability for four to six weeks. For complex injuries that are irreducible, open reduction and stabilization is required. For complex reducible injuries with an ulnar styloid fracture, the authors recommend open reduction and internal fixation. Without an ulnar styloid fracture, the authors recommend TFCC repair, pinning the reduced DRUJ, and immobilization for four to six weeks. Abe et al. reviewed 29 patients who underwent open or arthroscopic repair of foveal tears of the TFCC. The groups did not differ in pain, range of motion, stability, or subjective outcome scores. The authors found that operative time was significantly lower in the arthroscopic group, but upheld that either technique is efficacious so long as the TFCC is secured to the ulnar fovea. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, ulnar styloid is incorrect as the ulnar styloid serves as the insertion point for the superficial radial ulnar ligaments. Answer 3, dorsal radial ulnar capsule is incorrect as the dorsal radial ulnar capsule surrounds the DRUJ but is not the insertion point for the deep fibers of the radial ulnar ligaments. Answer 4, dorsal oblique band of the interosseous membrane is incorrect as the dorsal oblique band of the interosseous membrane inserts on the dorsal ulnar corner of the distal radius and is a secondary stabilizer of the DRUJ. The dorsal oblique band can be a deforming force for this fragment in certain distal radius fracture patterns. And finally, answer 5, radial styloid is incorrect as the radial styloid does not participate in the stability of the DRUJ slash TFCC. Moving on to the next question. A 30-year-old male laborer sustained a right wrist injury nine months ago. He continues to have symptoms of recurrent ulnar-sided wrist pain that impairs his ability to work. An MRI is performed and shows a triangular fibrocartilage complex or TFCC injury. Which of the following is an indication to combine a wafer procedure with arthroscopic TFCC debridement? And the choices are 1. Ulnar styloid fracture, 2. Radial styloid fracture, 3. 2 millimeters of positive ulnar variance and ulnocarpal impingement, 4. 2 millimeters of negative ulnar variance and radiocarpal joint arthritis, and 5. Scaphoid ligament injury. The correct answer to this question is 3, 2 millimeters of positive ulnar variance and ulnocarpal impingement. So a wafer procedure is indicated for positive ulnar variance and symptomatic ulnocarpal impingement associated with degenerative TFCC tears. Ulnar impaction syndrome and triangular fibrocartilage complex or TFCC injuries are relatively common causes of ulnar-sided wrist pain. Positive ulnar variance causes increased contact pressures between the lunate and the ulnar head. The wafer procedure removes 2 to 4 millimeters of distal ulnar head to reduce ulnar variance to neutral or negative. This is thought to reduce ulnar impaction and decrease pain. Faber et al. examined the role of MRI in wrist injuries. They showed that the sensitivity and specificity to detect TFCC tears using MRI is approximately 80%. They conclude that there is no supporting evidence for routine MRIs for patients with nonspecific ulnar-sided wrist pain. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, ulnar styloid fracture, Answer 2, radial styloid fracture. Answer 4, 2 millimeters of negative ulnar variance and radiocarpal joint arthritis. And answer 5, scaphoid ligament injury are all incorrect as the arthroscopic wafer procedure is indicated for positive ulnar variance and ulnocarpal impingement associated with TFCC tears. This procedure uses the central TFCC tear to access the distal ulna within the arthroscope. 
The pathological findings supplied in the other answer options are not indicated for this surgical procedure. And moving on to the final question, which of the following structures is an anatomical component of the triangular fibrocartilage complex? And the choices are 1. Extensor carpi ulnaris tendon sheath, 2. Lunotriquetral interosseous ligament, 3. Extensor digiti minimi tendon sheath, 4. Radioscapho capitate ligament, and 5. Flexor carpi ulnaris tendon sheath. The correct answer to this question is 1. Extensor carpi ulnaris tendon sheath. So the extensor carpi ulnaris tendon sheath is part of the triangular fibrocartilage complex or TFCC. Palmer et al. studied the anatomy and function of the TFCC through anatomical dissections and biomechanical testing. The TFCC was found to be composed of the sheath of the extensor carpi ulnaris or ECU, an articular disc, the dorsal and vulnar radial ulnar ligaments, the meniscus homologue, and the ulnar collateral ligament. Biomechanically, they determined that the TFCC functions as a cushion at the ulnocarpal interface and is a major stabilizer of the DRUJ. Nakamura et al. histologically examined the origins and insertions of the TFCC in fresh-frozen cadaver wrists. They found that the floor of the ECU sheath originated from the dorsal side of the fovea of the ulna through an arrangement of Sharpie's fibers. That's all for this review about TFCC injury. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.